When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The festive season will soon be upon us. And if you're anything like me, Terrace Podcast Editor-in-Chief Craig Fowler, then you will be rubbish at buying presents for other people. But I've got just the solution for you. Beer 52. How about eight free beers to give to someone special in your life? Hang on a minute. Did I say eight? What I actually meant to say is 10 free beers, courtesy of Beer 52. All you have to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash terrace and cover $5.95 for postage to claim your free case. What's more, do it before the 17th of December and you get those two extra beers, taking it from 8 to 10 that I just promised you. Beer 52 is a beer club like no other. They send experts around the globe to find the best beer available anywhere. Each month, their members receive a new case and members have had beer from more than 40 countries across five continents. If dark beer is not your thing, simply choose the light option. As well as delicious beer, you'll get the Ferment magazine and two delicious snacks in which to wash it down. So whether you're buying for you or buying for someone else, make sure to sign up to Beer 52. And after redeeming your first case, you'll then join the monthly beer club for £24 a month. But don't worry, there is no minimum commitment. You can pause or cancel at any time. So once again, that's www.beer52.com forward slash terrace. Welcome to Thursday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and on this occasion I am joined by the Good Brothers Rovers. That is Sean McGuigan. Hello there. And Andy Harrow. Hello. Thank you for joining me tonight, guys. We're not going to talk about your team, although your team are doing quite well at the moment, so you can say something nice. Just give us a sentence each and we'll sum up your thoughts on Wraith Rovers at the moment. Sean. Uh, I, I need to be mindful of what I say because Andy was getting on at me last week for saying that they might get promoted. So my there you go, there's your sentence. <laughs> my sense is I, I I am tentatively encouraged. Andy, yes, I, I'm having a nice time with watching. <laughs> so a team currently ahead of Rovers in the league table, but only by fair, a solitary goal. Only by a solitary goal, and fair to say, not having a nice time of it recently. 
at least in two of the last three games, is Kilmarnock. Having managed to kind of get together a, a kind of run of results and kind of good performances and finally starting to look like the dominant team in the second tier. And you're thinking, right, especially with Cali kind of hitting the skids a wee bit. I think there was an assumption there. I certainly kind of thought that there's a possibility they were going to stretch their legs a wee bit, start motoring away from some of these other teams. And with Dunfermline having the season that they're having, uh, basically go on a kind of charge and no real other team because we expected at the start Dunfermline would be their closest rivals with them kind of out of the picture. Do what maybe would have presumed in such a scenario and then, you know, start to really kind of take a stranglehold of this division. However, that's not worked out to be the case. As I've said, they lost two of the last three games and fans are a little bit disgruntled because not only is it a case of them being in bad form recently, whenever they do drop points, there is a certain added impatience or grumbling, you can maybe say, on top of that because they don't play particularly good football. And if you're struggling to better a lot of teams that you would think the vast majority of supporters would assume you should be better on. And, and looking at their squad, they certainly should be making kind of lighter work of some of these opponents than they have been. Then you're going to get fans getting a bit, as I said, a bit disgruntled, a bit a bit moany, a bit uh, kind of short on patience when it comes to things. Yeah. Sean, what have you made? So actually, let's go to you, Andy, first. Andy, what have you made of Killian and their kind of, their season so far, if you can actually <clears> put it by? Well, I think that's the issue with them that it's it's a when you're you play the way that Kelly are playing, there's a very thin margin for error. So uh, I, I remember it being the case when uh, Rovers finished second under John McGlynn uh, way back when, you know, when we were challenging them Fairman, that you would often come away from games thinking, God, we were terrible, but we've won, so it's so it's fine. I think the. The issues, and, and you know, we were asking Craig Anderson about it earlier in the week. And the issue is that the this Kelly team are, despite the players that they've got, who should be, you know, they, they do have the best squad in the the division. They should have the players that that mean that this is ultimately a fairly comfortable title. Uh, but the, the issue they've got is that there's there's not really a great deal of cohesion there. There's not uh, any great excitement about their play. They don't create a lot of chances particularly. Um, and it means that, you know, when, when they win games, it's fine. You can get away with it. And, you know, they can almost do the hearts thing of getting through. Ultimately, they need to just get to the end of the season and get promoted like hearts did last season. And then we've seen hearts this season kick on from that. But at the moment... They're losing enough games that they're they're calling into question even getting promoted automatically in the first place. So, um, and and the and the concern would be mainly is that they're losing to the teams around them. So they've they've won against pretty much everyone else. You know they've won handily in in some of the games, even at home where they've generally had their troubles. Uh, you know they won four 0 against Queen of the South a few weeks ago. Um, they beat Morton, uh, not particularly impressively, but they beat Morton a couple of weeks ago away from home. But the issue is that they've they've lost, you know, at the weekend they lost 1-0 to Arbroath at home. Uh, two games before that at home they lost to Thistle, uh, and, and that was 1-0 and that could have been worse. They lost to Wraith 3-1 at home, and then they also lost 1-0 to Inverness at home. So, you know, the, the common denominator is here, this is, they're at Rugby Park, it's the place that they should be getting, picking up the most number of points it should be a difficult place to go but in fact the other 
four good teams in the league have all come and beaten them there. And not, and not uh, undeservedly either, certainly from... Um, the you know the Wraith game Wraith were, were pretty good in that game overall like Thistle as I say deserved their win uh, in our growth maybe got a wee bit fortunate at some points but again we're, you know they missed a penalty before they actually ultimately scored so they, there's just not a there's not really any enjoyment in it and the, I think it just adds to the nervousness now that actually they're, they're not even picking up the results even if the performances aren't there Yeah and uh, not just uh, penalty missed they also uh, our both over the course of that game had done more shots than Kelly at home, which you know our both are having a very good season. So it's it's maybe kind of a bit false to paint them with the the typical part time team kind of brush, but at the same time supporters will be kind of looking at that and pointing to that and saying, well, how the hell is this happening? We're supposed to be the best team in this league and got a part time team coming to Rugby Park and kind of not as had as much possession, but looked more threatening than them and ultimately won the game. And not many complaints about that from the Kamarnock side, Sean. Let's get your take on things before I kind of pose the kind of Tommy Wright type of question. I I tell you what I have enjoyed. See when when it looked like Kelly were just starting to put a run together, there was a, a pine bovril thread that was started on the championship forum that said that that was titled Arco Manic starting to move through the gears. And there was a huge I'm starting to get huge vibes off it. Uh, remember great feeling at Capolo or whatever it was called and then as soon as that thread was started like Morton turned to absolute shit and, and I'm not saying it's going to be as bad as that for Kilmanic but just every Saturday that they lose there'll just be like seven people going to the Arcomanic moving through the gears forum just to post the word no and I know that's like <laughs> it's no funny like it shouldn't be funny and it's quite pathetic but it just makes me laugh I am surprised at the fact that Kelly having to put some distance between them and the rest but I didn't necessarily think there'd be a huge a huge points gap at, at this point, especially when you think back to the to the summer. So if you think back to the recruitment process at that point, they recruited a, a, a huge kind of number of players and the vast majority of them were like, right, oh, he's okay. Or, okay, he's been, he's, he's been here before and, he, and he's done okay. And, and that might be okay, but... There wasn't that many players where we thought, right, he is really going to make a, a difference this season. So as maybe we shouldn't be quite as surprised as we are at the fact that they haven't managed to, to, to pull away from the rest. I think I think arguably the better signings might even have come with the, maybe with the exception of Zach Hemmings, who might be the best goalkeeper in his championship this season. Arguably the, the two of the better signings might have been later. Uh, in the window, certainly, certainly all the show. I mean, I mean, without all the show, I, I don't think Kelly would be top of the league. But certainly, over the course of the summer, there, there was a number of question marks in terms of the recruitment. So, so, to take to take you and Murray as an example, I think we thought that was a, a decent signing. But I, I didn't think at that point that we'd be looking at this Kelly team and saying, "Right, you and Murray will be Kilmarnock's best centre half this season." But he is, and and I, I don't mean to be insulting to you and Murray. But, but I don't look at him and, and think, right, here is somebody. If a team is trying to get into the Premiership, you and Murray will be their best centre-half. Like, I've never really thought that about you and Murray. I, I don't think he necessarily dominates. I think he's fine. He'll give you six or seven out of ten. And I think there's a number of players in this Kelly team where you're kind of thinking that about them. I, I think they might just have enough to, to, to get across the line. But I, I don't necessarily look at, through that starting 11 or even the squad and think, Right, that that is a real standout championship player. I, I, I think they're decent, 
but I, 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 I'm starting to, to have a, a few doubts about them. And, and like Andy mentioned, their home form there, and and you think to yourself, right, well, you know something, they've got the best away form in the league. Uh, all they have to do is sort out their home form. However, if they don't sort out that home form and that away form starts to desert them, it might be the opposite, and and they start to struggle. Uh, I, I think that are I think they're an interesting team, and I, I don't necessarily think that Tommy Wright is under is under pressure as such. However, the longer this goes, I, I think he will start to, to be under pressure because as Andy mentions, it's all very well kind of grinding out results. Uh, but if you're playing this style, which is pretty dull and pretty uninteresting, but if you're not getting the results that you expected, then then I he will start to come under pressure. I, I think I think the, the point about right is interesting, especially when you compare them to the other teams that are up there at the moment, because I think all the other teams are playing above the level that we expected them to play at. So uh, if you go through it, Wraith are, you know, we're second. We're, the two wingers that we signed in the, the off-season, none of the fans were that fussed about. Darius and I hadn't done anything uh, at air and hadn't really done anything since his last time at the Rovers. Aidan Conley was coming off a, a kind of a anonymous spell down south. They've been terrific. Ethan Ross, who hadn't really got a, a history of doing very much in particular, uh, has been excellent again for us, uh, having, having been alone previously. Um, you know, we're getting stuff. We don't have a centre forward, really, uh, and we're getting stuff out of that team. Uh, th- there's no doubt that John McGlynn's been excellent this year in terms of getting the most out of that team. Ian McCall is, you know, there, uh, Sean's mentioned this before, but teams that win the, the league below always tend to do pretty well the next season. But, you know, there's no guarantees of it. And Ian McCall is. Uh, made sure that that Thistle team are, are one of the best in the league this year and obviously they've got uh, two centre forwards who are, who are perhaps the best double act in the league but they, they overall have been excellent you know Billy Dodds has done better than I think any of us expected Billy Dodds to do even though they're, they're starting to maybe slide a wee bit now but with a, an unspectacular team they're doing pretty well and then our both obviously you know they're far and away uh, the best part time team in Scotland and you know some of the signings obviously Nibley that came in uh, he's made a difference the signings that, that Campbell's made and just getting that team to be incredibly competitive and it's not a surprise really that they could go to Kilmarnock and beat them so I think that's maybe the issue for Wright especially is that not only are they not playing very good football and they're not really winning as many games as I think fans would have hoped but he's been outmanaged by the the four guys around them at the moment, uh, you know, and because if you look at the team, if you look at that Kelly team, I was looking at it there. Every single one of those players that that's in that team, certainly, certainly from kind of midfield onwards, if Rovers had signed them, for example, at the start of the season, you think, you know, that's a good signing. You know, Scott Robinson, we were in for, uh, and he ended up going to Kelly, and we were a bit disappointed about that. Dan Armstrong. We'd have happily kept him last season. He's got to Kelly, not really done anything. Uh, obviously, Callum Henry. Ollie Shaw, we'd have been happy with any of those guys, Paul Worth. But, you know, so, so, there, so there's enough people, well, none of them are well, none of them are world beaters in the championship. There's a whole bunch of guys that should be should be better than than their performing that. And and I think part part of the issue is that uh, it doesn't seem to be working from a midfield point of view uh, in terms of getting the most out of their players. So it just you know, 
Fowler, you mentioned about the fact that Arbroath had more chances than them. You know, they're not creating a whole host of chances and they're still really kind of relying on Chris Burke to create a lot of them and all he shot to, to put them away. And, and that's maybe not a great position to be in, to be relying on your uber-experienced right-winger to, to do all that stuff. So, aye, there, there's definitely concerns, I would say. I suppose uh, the only thing I was going to add to that is if there is a if there is a, a, a kind of silver lining to what Andy has just described there, do I think that Arbroath or Rafe or Partick or Inverness can necessarily perform much better than they currently are? I, I don't know. Pro- probably not. But I, I think this might be the limit to what you can get for those four teams. However, I think I think there is a far higher ceiling for this Kelly team. And if Tommy Wright can get out of them, I would still expect Kelly to pull away at, at some point. Like, out of those five teams at the top, Kelly are the one that have been disappointing. And you would still expect them to, to perform better than they can. So either we are overrating their current squad or overrating Tommy Wright, or they are underperforming and therefore can still kick on and, and do a lot better. Uh, so I, as, as much as Kelly have, have kind of disappointed to a degree, I would still presume that they would win the league. Sean, you, when you were talking earlier, you maybe inadvertently answered the, the next question I was going to ask, uh, which, and maybe we've kind of, between us, kind of stumbled on, onto a reason why they're, they're so kind of turgid, turgid to watch and why they're so kind of negative and, and pragmatic for a team that we still think on paper, uh, even though, as you say, a number of players there that were kind of like, yeah, decent enough, but no kind of, nobody really kind of properly catching your eye, but still probably on paper, the strongest squad overall. Is that, is it, is the problem that defence? Is it why? Because, so Tommy Wright has this reputation as a manager of not playing particularly attractive brand of football. And that was, I think, a major reason why upon leaving St. Johnson and being out of work, I mean, he had a wee bit of an agreement with him not to take a job right away, but he still um, had to wait till February. And we've seen jobs in the past open up. And I think with the exception of Dundee United one time, Nobody's really made a strong push to try and get him from St. Johnson. And I think it went with that reputation, but it wasn't entirely fair because the last couple of seasons at St. Johnson, they actually played some decent football. They weren't a terrible team to watch. And even then, I thought kind of during the kind of peak years under him, I didn't think they were as bad as a lot of people said either. Uh, but certainly the last couple of years, because we, we we dubbed them six at St. Johnson because they were actually trying to play some decent stuff. I mean, you're talking when like Matty Kennedy and, and Tony Watt joined the, the side and they were... There was a, certainly a better brand of football to watch. They were a team that were happy to attack, happy to knock the ball along the deck. And then you get to this season, you get to this Kelly team, you think, well, it could continue that with Kelly in the championship. And yet it's kind of regressed back to what he was kind of profiled it. And, you know, that kind of reputation stuck of when he was first at St. Johnson. And I do wonder whether it's the defence, whether he doesn't trust that defence enough to be a kind of more attack-minded manager, to, to let the shackles off a little bit, let the players go a wee bit more and express themselves because he needs that midfield to do a lot more kind of dirty work and defensive work than maybe he would prefer otherwise because you're right, viewing Murray as your best centre-back, then you it's, it's a wee bit of an issue. It's a wee bit of an issue and I think he's maybe just trying to protect and try to get as many clean sheets as possible and you know not lose their way to a title. I mean, it, it might be. But I think if that is the case, if that is his rationale, he probably should have a wee bit more faith in him. I don't think anybody in the championship has 
conceded fewer chances than Kelly. So in terms of in terms of smothering other teams, they, they do a reasonable job. It, it's more getting at teams that seems to be their problem. But that, that's uh, maybe the problem. Maybe they're smothering other teams because the midfielder kind of doing the work of, of a defender and an attacker more than you would more think of a team that should be the favourites for a title where you're just like, right, go out and blitz the opponent. Maybe, but I do think... And I, I think that there's a kind of soft underbelly to, to, to Kelly. Uh, like when we played them... And I'm not saying that you need to kick lumps out of kick lumps out of teams, but like they, they don't seem to they, they don't seem to concede too many fouls. They seem like they seem like a reasonably nice team, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I still think, and I remember Craig Anderson last season saying that the one of the faults was that they deliver too many crosses into the area that are that are just kind of wasteful. I still think there's a wee bit of that about them. Uh, I think as Andy mentions Chris Burke. Other than that, they're still getting crosses in the area, but it's like guys like Callum Waters and Jason Naismith. Uh, and again, it's like it, there's so many deliveries in the area that they're kind of finding nobody. Uh, I, you, you might be right in terms of the, the midfield has been tasked to protect the back four rather than get forward enough. But actually, do they have a midfield that, that can be creative? I, I, I'm not entirely sure. It, it feels like a wee bit of a mishmash. Nothing quite... Nothing quite makes sense in this commandant team at the moment. Uh, but certainly in terms of getting at teams, that that even if you go through their squad, do they have an, an enough within that that, that can that can be an, an, an attacking side that can excite and can get at teams? I'm not so sure. I mean, they played two up front against Arbroath. I mean, they had, uh, they had Callum Henry and Ollie Shaw up front against Arbroath. Didn't they work? So, so whether whether that would be, whether it will change that going forward, uh, I, I'm not so sure, but aye, there feels like a, even though there's been a, a kind of gutting, a, a massive gutting of the team from from last season, it still feels like there's a wee bit of a hangover. Maybe that's more to do uh, with, with maybe that's more to do in the stands at Rugby Park rather than the team. But but the style of play doesn't necessarily seems to have changed since last season. Maybe Tommy Ryan needs a more contentious relationship with Billy Bowie, and then it'll just be like he's St Johnson days, and it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> right, guys, we're ready to move on. Yeah, yes. let's, let's go to League One. East Fife, they are without a manager for the first time in four years. Derek, that, Derek Young, Darren Young, uh, his brother, to be fair, uh, was relieved of his duties after a, a 3 0, 3 3 0, 3 1 defeat at Clyde. 3 1 at Clyde. 3 1 at Clyde, which leaves them five points adrift at the bottom of the table. A huge game that would have been if they'd managed to win it. Uh, they had been shown, after a dreadful start to the season, had been shown signs of life recently, but that was kind of like a final nail in the coffin for the Fifers. Andy, go to you first again. It's uh, it's not looking good for the men from Methyl to stay in the third tier, is it? No, no, it's not looking especially good. I I, I mean, I watched the highlights of the Clyde game and I actually th- thought they looked like there were signs of life even during that game. I think they looked like the, the better team, certainly the better chances in the, the first half and then went ahead in that one. And then... Uh, there was, you know, it was a, a good finish from David Goodwill and uh, Gregory Taddy actually uh, playing well, uh, being involved in the second goal when there was a breakaway for the third one. So it, it, it didn't look like a, a completely hopeless unit based on certainly based on that evidence. And I don't know the the uh, it, it felt like it had uh, gone very stale. I think uh, in terms of Danny Young's reign at East Fife, you know, he's he's had 
four years, which is a pretty long time, to be honest, in, in football management these days. Um, and th- they were kind of quite, a, quite an inconsistent four years that they had, Like I think, in terms of recent history, and certainly in my memory of East Fife, they probably had more highs than they had, they've had really many points over the last 20 years, uh, but they've had a, a fair few lows over that period as well. And I think... I think probably not going up at some point or at least not getting into the, the playoffs over uh, those last four years is probably going to be the thing that ultimately uh, maybe defines Young along with a couple of the, the, the successes. And it, it just feels like it's run its course. Uh, I, I, that, that's how it looks Looks like. they've, they've um, it, Young was complaining about injuries and the amount of injuries that's impacted their season. But there's a point sometimes where players just kind of stop listening to the manager and he, he kind of runs out of ideas and it feels maybe like that's happened this year. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm thinking more broadly in terms of how, how Young's done at, at East Fife, uh, you know, they've they've finished 6th, 7th, 5th and then 6th over that, over that period of time. Um, they beat Rovers for the, the first time in 30 years and 2018, uh, which was a kind of a huge achievement. Beat Dundee United at Tandice. They've reached the, the last 16 of the Scottish Cup. Got to the Challenge Cup semis. We think they lost to Ross County. Um, so, so it's it, it been a decent spell, and I think Young will probably ultimately get a, a, an okay job off the back of it. Uh, but I, I, it just feels like the the fact that they didn't make the playoffs in any of those seasons is probably going to be the thing that's that's going to haunt them and, and maybe haunt them this season. Um, especially that there was the year eighteen nineteen where they had a kind of brilliant first half of the season and then won one game after January and it's it's been inconsistency in general over that period that's caused them problems. Whereas this season they've not even managed to be inconsistent. They, they've they've kind of been consistently poor. Um, so yeah, a couple of embarrassing cup pumpings as well. Yes, and the, and, the, and I think I wonder if the fact that they've got the Banks of D in the Scottish Cup this coming weekend had an impact in terms of they didn't want another embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've actually on a, tomorrow night's uh, view for the terrace show. Um, don't want to give away too many spoilers for it. It might not even get kept in, but uh, I have tipped Banks of D for a for a fairy tale win in that one uh, for. One of the biggest reasons for that is just what I mentioned. Uh, East Life have had a couple of embarrassing cup results in the last couple, couple of years. Most uh, famously, I think they were 3-1 up at home to BSC Glasgow and got beat 4-3. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, you can indulge in some shattered fight if you want uh, while you're telling us how, how East Life have had uh, such a such a dismal campaign. No, do, do you know something? I, I, I think Dan Young will go down uh, as a success during his tenure for East Fife manager. So, like, when you think about East Fife, I mean, in terms of where you regard them as a club in terms of within Scottish football, to be challenging, to be challenging for the promotion to, to the championship, that is now, certainly in, in recent history, that is now where you regard these Fife to be. But Dan Young got them to that point. I ultimately, every season, it just failed to get them kind of over the line in the promotion playoffs. But East Fife have never, other than a very short period during the 90s, maybe, where they were they were challenging for the where they were in the, the second tier. Then there was a spell where uh, Willie Gray 
was uh, was it was at Methyl, and and they were challenging to get into the the second tier. They've generally been a yo-yo team from uh, the bottom tier to the third tier. So for them to be in the equation to get promoted to the playoffs, he's done very well. And I mean, I, I think they ended up defeating the Rovers three times uh, laterally. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind they hadn't beat us in thirty years. That is that is equated to these five fans as has been quite a big deal. I there was those two horrible results against uh, Broader Rangers in the Scottish Cup and BSC Glasgow. The problem this season was this is his this is this has been Dan Young's poorest East Five team by a mile. So the fact that he couldn't get good East Five teams into the playoffs, he was never getting this East Five team into the, into the playoffs. There might there might be something there. I, I think you look at the, the players that he lost in the summer. So uh Craig Watson, centre half, went to Airdrie. Would he get in this his five team? Aye, no bother. He might be a big Tory, but we'll get in this his five team, no worries. Scott Agnew, we've 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 always but for years we've went on about Scott Agnew. And I he has come to the very much the twilight years of his career. I still think he would get an SE5 team, actually. And I, I think most importantly are the, the goalkeepers. I mean, Brett, Brett Long and Jordan Hart both left in the summer. I, I think Jordan Hart is okay. I think Brett Long is very good. And the fact that they both left it was a mistake. I mean, if, if either of them could have been kept, presumably they couldn't, uh, but both of them leaving was a massive blow. And they've... They've struggled to replace him. So Scott, Scott Gallagher was brought in from uh, Alloa or Arbroath. I, I forget, possibly Arbroath. Scott Gallagher isn't as good as either. They've since brought in uh, Jude Smith on loan from Celtic. Jude Smith is, is 18. I'm not coming in from Arbroath. Right. No Sorry, Gallagher, I should say. Aye. Uh, Jude Smith is brought in on loan from Celtic. Again, could turn out to be a talent. Is he as good as Brett Long? No, absolutely not. And and I know there was a thing about Mark McGuigan in the summer. He, he was only there for about two weeks and, and then left. What I would say is, in terms of uh, in, in terms of how they're doing up front, Kyle Connell, who's been brought in on loan for, for Kelly, he looks a real talent. So I, I, I'm, I'm unaware of the timeline. So whether they would have brought him in if Mark McGuigan hadn't decided to, to, to kind of pack it in, I'm not so sure. But there's probably, there is something within that East Fife squad that, that might just get them out of trouble in terms of Ryan Wallace has come back after his, uh, they, they say they wanted to spend more time with his family, whether there was other things at, at, at play, I'm not entirely sure. But Ryan Wallace, Kyle Connell up front, there, there's something there. Scott Mercer has been brought on, on on loan from Falkirk at right back. He'd be absolutely fine. Uh Aaron Dunsmore, wide on the left. You've got Chris Higgins, you've got Danny Denham, you've got Pat Slattery, you've still got Kevin Smith. The next manager has something to work with. The, the problem is, who are they going to who are they going to reel in, I suppose? Uh, Clyde would have been the, the, the most obvious team. They've got David Goodwillie. Dumbarton might have more about them than this, than this East Five team. The, the, there's something there, but this is the poorest East Five squad in... In, in four or five years, and even if they even if they manage to make the right appointment, I, I still think they they might struggle to keep them in a division. You were right uh, that Connell came in after Mark Regan had left. Coyle signed on Connell, I should say. God, doing very well with names today. Connell signed on the seventh of August. So uh, he, 
genuinely, he looks at a real talent in terms of he scores goals in the six-yard box. He seems to be a decent threat. He showed a really good goal. Jeez, uh, oh, I can't remember. Who, was it against Dumbarton, maybe? Cove? Uh, keeper come out to meet him and he just dinked it over him for the edge of the 18-yard box. Really good. Had a couple of assists this season, but he's quite happy to do hard work outside the area and, and inside the area. I quite like the look of him. Uh, so, Kelly, uh, East Fife fans should, should enjoy him uh, while they can, but he he might have a chance of making it a Kelly. I'm, I'm, I'm quite impressed by him. Andy, anything else to add on East Fife before we move on? No, no, I don't think so. That covers it. Right. We'll go back to you, Andy. Cowden Beef. <laughs> so we've got <laughs> to the top of the championship, the bottom of League One, and now the bottom of League Two. Uh, all negative, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not, not a lot of positivity tonight, is there? Um, so, yeah, Cowden Beef, uh, to get into putting a little bit of background, obviously, Gary Bolden was uh, sacked, I believe it was, was it earlier this month or end of last month, one of the two. But things have not improved thus far. And our new manager, Morris Ross. Cowden Beath have now lost, they lost two games, 1-0. And then they, sorry, lost three games in a row, 1-0. And then they were beaten 3-0 by Forfar at the weekend. So not really much sign of any improvement going on there at Central Park. No, I I, I think this might be the season that Cowden Beath finally go down. Um the, uh, I spoke to my, my friend Stuart, who's a Cowdenbeath fan about it. Uh, he His feeling on it was that he hopes the weather's bleak enough in December that they don't have any games, and then by the time January comes around, they can get rid of some of the dead and sign some, some new players. So but that, that maybe gives you an idea of how um, uh, what, what the mood's like with Cowdenbeath fans. There's strange Cowdenbeath in that on, on paper to the... The sort of untrained eye uh, doesn't tend to to watch too much of League Two. You would think that that squad looks all right. Uh, it's, I mean, a, it's a good squad on paper for 2015. Yes, yes, I, that's that's fair. I mean, they've got they've got Liam Buchanan, who I think still is probably a you know for this level a de- a decent player um, up front. Uh, they brought him in, Craig Barr, who if he stays fit is still a, a, you know would seem to be a, a an all right centre half. Kyle Hutton, who I never really much fancied uh, in League One, you think maybe a a step down, that's maybe more his level. Don't know. I mean and and they've got people like uh Kyle Miller uh and Chris Renton. <laughs> Sorry, can you stop me? Kyle Hutton has no level. There is no, no there is no level I've heard of Kyle Hutton where everybody's like, oh yeah, he's good. Well, yeah, like, like him, he's one of our favourite players of the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely becoming apparent this season that, that uh, League Two is not his level either. Um you know uh Chris Renton, Kyle Miller, the guys that have been there before and have got experience in the league uh, got people like Bobby Barr who are who are probably past it, but yeah, as you say, there's there's probably a team there. A, a 2015 version of this team would probably be pretty good in in League Two. The problem is that uh, this team has not been in any way good in 2021. Um, their their form is absolutely stinking. I mean, it's August. I think the last time they actually won a won a game in the league, and I I, I think. Um, Speaking of Stuart, I think a lot of the blame obviously falls in Bowling and the, the the both the team that he built and also the kind of atmosphere around the club as well. None of it being very positive, and I think Morris Ross has got a a pretty big job in his hands to try and turn it around. They're seven behind Elgin just now and ten behind Stranraer. 
Um, and aye, as he said, unless they bring in a, a batch of new players and they get rid of some of what they've got just now, it seems fairly hopeless. So yeah, I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if there's much chance of King Beath escaping this time round. According to your source, who is the who is the deadest of the Deadwood? Uh, well. Uh, he wasn't much of a fan of uh, Robbie Buchanan. Uh, that that would be. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody of a cow beef persuasion is a big fan of Robbie Buchanan. Maybe his mum. Maybe sorry, I don't know if that was heard. Maybe his mother is. Well, I'd I'd, I'd like to think so, and uh, and and all of his family members. I mean, they need to be really bad at football if everybody's family hated them as well, <laughs> and just life in general. I, I I think I think Robbie Buchanan is a good example of where Cowmeath have have went wrong in recent years. That like Cowmeath have, have just struggled like in, in in the last few seasons, but they seem to have a weird they seem to have a weird thing where they just sign a lot of these players back up again. Robbie Buchanan is an example. Kyle Miller is an example. Fraser Mullen is an example. Like they've been in a club for ages, and this club is, is a team that's been going nowhere. And I'm not saying that they've it's been their fault, but they've they've had ample opportunity to, to prove that they are that they are good enough to, to to make this team better, and and they've never really demonstrated that they can. And yet they, they keep getting contracts. And, and I'm the same in terms of I looked at the squad and I was like, right, well, Cowdenbeath might have enough to maybe trouble the playoffs this season. But it's just a collection of names. Like, so Liam Buchanan, I, I still think he should be okay at, at League Two, but he's 36. Bobby Barr, you think, right, well, he should be okay for this, for League Two, but he's 33. Uh, Craig Thompson kind of came in for Edinburgh City. Okay, he's only 30, but I, I'm not entirely sure he's particularly fit. Craig Barr, who, who, I, who I like at, at, at centre-half, I don't know if he's maybe trying too hard. This was suggested by Craig Easton on our, the, the Pyramid podcast recently that, that maybe certain players have been have been trying too hard and like their own performances have have have, have been impacted as a as a result. But again, Craig Barr is another player who is who is the wrong side of thirty. Craig, Craig Easton's uh, the way he spoke on that podcast was just kind of a lot of a lot of things to. He said a lot of words. To basically not admit that there were just a lot of shit. <laughs> That's just not very good. Aye, I was kind of getting that as well. And so, so let's face it, what are Cowdenbeath going to do from here on in? They've, they've now appointed Morris Ross. They're seven points behind Elgin. I, I don't see them reeling in Stranraer. I don't see them reeling in Albion Rovers. I, I would presume, without knowing too much about it, that Morris Ross is a better coach than Gary Boland. But again, I'm just reading between the lines. I, I hear that Morris Ross is a decent coach. Therefore, you would presume that Cowdenbeath will get better from his from his training sessions. You would imagine. Are they going to be able to 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 move players out and then bring players in? Maybe. But let's face it, their, their attendances would suggest that there's not a lot of money to play with. So whether they can do enough, whether the, whether Morris Ross can improve the current squad and bring enough quality in to overtake the, the teams that are above them I'm, I'm really struggling to believe he's going to achieve that so therefore you're in a situation where Cowdenbeath for, for me are the favourites to, to finish 10th 
Now they've done it before. They've they've beat uh, was it? I think they beat East Kilbride in that first playoff I went to. Then they beat Cove, which was one of the best laughs I've ever had on a Saturday afternoon in, in my entire puff. Will they be able to do that again? They kind of continue to do this, uh, and and so it, it it will start to catch up with them as it, as it always will for any teams that are consistently at, at, at the bottom of League Two. So I I'm I'm, I'm worried about Cowdenbeath because. They're, they're probably my like they're probably like my second second team, and if, if there are any playoffs, I'll be there and I'll be, I'll be cheering them on. But I I have massive concerns about the quality of this Cowdenbeath team and how much more Morris Ross can add to them. And you do wonder as well, like yeah, Morris Ross has got this kind of good reputation as a kind of coach, like kind of seen as one of these kind of progressive type of thinkers on the on the training field, but you do wonder like somebody who who's coming for that background coming into a part-time side, you know, because there's not enough, there's not really a lot of time during the week to make guys a lot better. You have to kind of make them enjoy their, their training a bit more and kind of get, and, and do things that way, kind of keep the mood up, you know, yeah, you can you can do things, you, you can do work to, to make players, kind of improve players, but it's kind of a difficult thing to do, especially when you're halfway through the season and especially when a lot of the players as we've gone over are old and will be setting their ways quite a lot. Uh, especially when you're only you've only got um, two training sessions uh, every seven days uh, to work with them, so yeah, that could be a problem as well. I can't remember if I was going to ask anything else. I think we're done on cow and beef. Let's wrap things up then by going to the next on our massive list. I can't remember when we started this. It feels like it was years ago. Of uh, the fifty most memorable Scotland matches, it probably it's out of date now. I mean, you got to have that. Denmark gave in it somewhere, surely. <laughs> but this is actually a good one. Got a change. Yeah. Ah, yeah, that's true. Ah, yes. So we're up to number 15. And that is England 1, Scotland 2, from June 4th, 1977. So number one at the US box office. It was a, a little-known film. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, called Star Wars. And oh. number one in the UK music charts, uh, which is very fitting considering he was on the pitch that day, Rod Stewart with I Don't Want to Talk About It. How come, how come you, you've flip-flopped from the, the US box office to the UK charts? Uh, I always do UK and sometimes the US uh, charts as well, actually, now that I think about it. But I, I often do the two, the two movie charts, uh, if it's UK and, and US, but I can't find any records if it goes prior to like 1980 or something like that. Okay, well, that's fair enough. So, Thanks for your explanation. I didn't even actually look this time, so maybe it is available in 1977, but there you go. Uh, plus, Star Wars was just enough to... Imagine, kind of... Honestly, imagine Star Wars being in the pictures in uh, Scotland pumping England. <laughs> what a fucking, what a fucking time. <laughs> Come straight to the cinema on the Friday, at the Scotland game on the Sunday, on uh, the Saturday. Imagine, honestly, imagine, honestly, imagine, imagine going to the pictures on the Friday to watch Star Wars, and you're like, "Bloody hell, Darth Vader, some boy!" And then, <laughs> and then the Saturday you're watching Scotland pump England at Wembley, and then we run in the park, tear it up, and then um, break all the goalposts. That's the best weekend ever. <laughs> That's the best oh, weekend ever. I do, I, I do sometimes wonder the folk watching Star Wars the first time realised they were watching Star Wars the first time. That's the only thing. Like, I think maybe by the time the Empire Strikes Back, they're like, 
Oh, brilliant! I'm going to see Star Wars this weekend. I, I do wonder. You know, it's like anything when it's like the first the first of a a series of of films where they're like, do folk actually realise how good it is at the time? That's, I, I, I'm sure they did because it, it was number one was not for ages. But uh, aye, that that was that's my only thing that would maybe doubt whether they had or they or they were looking forward to the weekend quite as much as. Uh, <laughs> Andy, Andy, when you watch when you watch Star Wars for the first time, were, were you all excited? Yeah, but I was, but that's because I knew and he already knew it was such Star a cultural. Wars. He knew Star Wars. Yeah, Aye. he knew it was already a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, because my dad and my mum talked about Star Wars, so I, I knew what Star Wars. Well, I knew I was supposed to like it basically. Whereas I don't know if if you didn't know anything about Star Wars, would you come out? I mean, you might come out of it thinking that was brilliant, but you wouldn't have. You don't have that same background to it you have the same preconceived ideas about it that, that we've got about Star Wars and then we've got different preconceived ideas about Star Wars going into that, those last ones because the, the ones before that were so terrible you've got uh, you've got Daft Davy probably moaning about the fact that his pal's dragging up with the pictures to see <laughs> instead of just getting pitched in London the night before the game he's getting dragged to the pictures he's like what are you going to see I don't know some load of space pish some space pish <laughs> <laughs> Right, so this game, it's going to be, uh, I thought I described the Scotland's Woodstock moment because there were so many Scotland fans at the game. The attendance was over 98,000 and it was said that almost two-thirds of those were Scotland fans uh, to the point where if you could have watched the highlights back, you could hear kind of whistling uh, while the England players have the ball, even though they're the team at home. Uh, it was Scotland's second successive victory over England, but it was the first victory at Wembley in 10 years. It was also kind of notable because this was Ali McLeod's first game against England. Uh, this was also him, I think he'd only been in charge about a month or so. Yeah, a month. And it was quite uh, quite different in terms of the styles of both managers. So he was coming up against Don Revy, who was in charge of England. Don Revy, obviously, absolute legend with what he did at Leeds United in terms of completely transforming that club from a side that was in the old Division 2 to then eventually being in a, in a European Cup final yeah, and all the titles they won along the way and the Cups that they won and so forth. But as England manager, really didn't work out for him. And the kind of, the difference between the two was that Ali McLeod, which would ultimately be his undoing, didn't have much attention to detail. He was all about <laughs> kind of bigging the players up, making them feel 10 feet tall, kind of talking a good game, stuff like that. Whereas Don Revy, always famous for how meticulous he was, compiling dossiers on... You know, even when Leeds were playing like teams that were like two divisions below in the cup, and he's got this, he's compiled this thing for all the players to read, and he's going on about how how the right winger is oh so good, and they're like don't love get any head of steam in the ball, and then like the Leeds players are like we get in the park, and this boy's absolutely shite. They're all shite. It's like come on, do we have to really read all this? We'll just go out and beat them. So that was kind of two contrasting factors. I obviously worked it for Scotland this game. Uh, with goals from Gordon McQueen with a bullet header and Ten Kenny Douglas scored the second. England got a late consolation through a Mick Shannon penalty. should probably read the teams. Scotland was Alan Ruff, defence of Willie Donaghy, Tom Forsyth, Danny McGrain, Gordon McQueen, midfield, Asa Hartford, Willie Johnson, Don Masson, Bruce Riock, who was captain. And the front line was... Kenny Douglas and Joe Jordan with Lou McCary coming on for Jordan and Archie Gemmel coming on for Masson. Sean, this was two years before you were born. One year. 
sorry, I thought you were born in 1979. Uh, uh, One year before you were born. Uh, So I'll I'll, I'll, I'll dispense with the jokes that you were at the game, and you were were in your your 20s. So tell us, despite uh, not being born at the time, tell us, as a a mad Scotland fan, you're kind of, what your feelings are of this match. So this, this feels like a spell where we were, and maybe for... Over the last 50 years, I'm not entirely sure, but certainly in terms of from the 70s to now, I, I kind of get the impression that we were better than England. So we beat them in 74, they pumped us in 75, beat them in 76, beat them in 77. But even look at the respective teams. So I feel like, so I, I think I think Kevin Keegan was missing for England in terms of, in terms of being injured, I think. Uh so he would have been considered a world-class player. But if you're looking at the respective squads, Kenny Dalglish was world-class. Danny McGrain was world-class. Was there anybody world-class in that England starting 11? I, Francis? I, uh, maybe not at that point. Mm. Maybe not at that. They, they might have been, was it, was it the first million pound signing? Then? I don't M- think maybe, at that point. Let me double maybe check. Maybe he, he might have been signed for a million pounds. Was he as good as Dalglish or as good as, as, as McGrain? No, nah, I, I don't think so. There was a few players in that team that I actually had to Google because I wasn't that I wasn't that familiar with them that, that didn't they go on to have that many uh England caps. So I think we probably had a better team than England. We won as much as two one sounds close. We we won pretty comfortably. The the penalty for England came in about the eighty eighth minute. Uh we were better than them and I and I know like the the bulk of this game is to do with the the, the pitch invasion and, and and breaking the goals and, and what have you. But but this was a this was a good Scotland team and I almost feel like the the seventy eight World Cup kind of tainted things a wee bit because this was this was a a, a good Scotland team and there's a, there's a brilliant quote for Alan McLeod. So he'd only just been he'd only just been appointed Scotland manager, but he said, uh, "I want to prove I'm the best manager in the world." And I know that feels like that almost feels like cringy. Like as a, a as a Scotland fan, there's something there's something particularly Scottish about somebody being really ambitious and you not quite buying into that. Yeah, because like the whole kind of thing around '78 when I was growing up was like you'd, you'd hear about it anytime you'd anybody would bring it up, like oh, like uh, the Allies are thing, we're going to win the World Cup, and people would like adults would always say to me. They kind of rolled their eyes, kind of like, all right, they said we're going to win the World Cup, a lot of rubbish, blah, blah, blah. Like, as if Scotland could win a World Cup. But the older I've got and the more I've learned about that team, you're like, yeah, they, they definitely have a chance. Like, they had some very good players. And they beat a Holland team that, like, was a Holland team that was within three inches of winning the tournament when they hit the post in the final in the last minute. Uh, so, yeah, they were, they were a very good side. And it wasn't just a case of Scottish, of one kind of Scotsman being far too over-ambitious and, and, and talking a lot of shite. They were, they were a very good side and they, they did have a chance. I, I, I think what I don't understand about this game, and, and I've never really understood about England versus Scotland at Wembley during this period, is where are all the English, where are all the English fans? So, so like if there was 90,000 there or whatever it was, and there was, it was two-thirds Scottish fans, so let's say there was 60,000 Scotland fans or whatever. Like, like where, like, why why were England fans not particularly interested in in, in, gain, in gaining access to this game? I, I don't really understand it. I, I know, like, so my granddad, for example, like my granddad would always go to the 
Every two years, you went down to London. My granddad would save up. He would travel down for the game. He would make a day out with his pals. And I, and, and I get that. But I, I, like, it's just, if you look right round the stadium that day, it's just, right round, it's just rampant Lions and, and Scotland fans and Tartan. And it's a, it looks like it's a home game for Scotland. And I, obviously that would never happen now. But it's just, it's an incredible sight to see Wembley just bedecked and and tartan and and lying rampant. I I think I think you maybe answered your own question earlier though about that England team. Like they didn't they didn't get to seventy eight, did they? The, no, the they got to seventy eight. They weren't in seventy four either. No. So uh, I, I mean, they, they are a, a team of people who I don't really know now. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few people like Trevor Francis who would then go on to do stuff. I'm, I'm more aware of them. In the nineties, as a as a manager or whatever, but there's not that many of those players that uh, have any sort of sense of being, like you said, world class. And I think I think that's part of it. It's the same as anything. It, you know, football fans are pretty fickle. If your team's not doing very well, uh, you're not always going to be desperate to get there. Uh, you know, it's the same same with England now. Whenever they're occasionally poor, you know, Wembley doesn't Wembley's selling out now because that England team got to the finals of the Euros and yeah and they're always good so I was going to say as well in yeah. the 90s especially the early 90s was not a few games of crowds yeah. at Wembley were quite crap because I think, England I think, were crap I think it was only really Euro 96 that kind of catapulted that team back into being something that, that fans wanted to go to I mean I mean there wasn't if we talk you talk about that there wasn't any great fervour about that whole tournament partly because of where the English national team were you know there, there was empty seats at a bunch of the a bunch of the games so um I think that's probably part of it, and it, but it but it is impressive when you look at that Scotland team, and we're we're getting a, a, an absolutely tiny taste of it now in terms of you know having players with some pedigree actually doing something. But like we, we'll never have a period again like we maybe had during the the seventies where we we had that many world class players who are who are at the top level and, and playing at a, an incredibly high standard. And you know uh, I read that. Uh, McIlvaney, uh some of his writing last year about that that World Cup, and and there was there was a, there was a kind of genuine feeling that Scotland were good enough, and that they just completely let themselves down once they got to the once they got to the final. Um, but yeah, the, aye, it's 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 and some of the football. I mean, I, I was looking at the highlights. Some of the some of the football they played is just the confidence that they played with at Wembley was was a team who. Knew they were better than the the home side. Like you know, they're like doing sort of keepy uppies in their own half and stuff. And it's one one touch passes everywhere. And aye, it's it's just something you don't really see from a from a Scotland team. There's a really good uh, the, if if you can find it on YouTube, there's a good section where it might be the ITV coverage, and it's like Jimmy Hill in a studio with Jock Steen and Tommy Doherty and Alan Mullery and one other. Uh, kind of England, uh, uh, one other kind of England pundit. I'm not entirely sure who he is, but every single one of them couldn't look any more kind of BDC darts uh, <laughs> if, if they tried. <laughs> but but the the general consensus was, as we've said, that, that Scotland were a, Scotland were a far better team. There was also, and I remember watching this. I was uh, this makes me sound very old. It, it was quite early days in Sky, so this is very early nineties. And Sky had a show where. Dickie Davies, if you remember him from Grandstand, he would have a football show where he would have 
let's say it was classic Manchester derbies and it was Man United versus Man City and be like a Man United win and a Man City win and somebody who had played for Man United somebody who played for Man City for example and that's how the show went so it was famous Scotland wins famous England wins and it was Dickie Davies Dennis Law and Bobby Charlton and this was the Scotland win that they showed and I went back to the studio after showing the highlights and Bobby Charlton was furious. Like Bobby Charlton was really aghast at the behaviour of the Scotland fans that day. And he was I've got a quote from John Watson as well. Uh, the, the seeds are so typically Scottish. To these people, beating England is more important than doing well in the World Cup. Well, that, that was, you know, something that was essentially what Bobby Charlton said. Uh, he said it, basically he said that Scotland fans were an absolute disgrace. But all the time that Bobby Charlton was talking... Shut up, you bald cunt. Aye, De- Dennis Law was just killing himself laughing. And then eventually, like, Dickie Davies eventually asked Dennis Law, and he was like, honestly, he goes, that Wembley pitch was absolutely terrible. And it was getting really late anyway. So all we did was make life a wee bit easier for them. So they should probably be thankful. But Bobby Charlton, like, you can see him getting, like, beetroot red. Like, he was so annoyed. Uh, bye, honestly, if that gets under his skin, then, then good. <laughs> Right, anything else to add about this one before we finish? I see heads shaking, so I'm going to wrap up this podcast right now. Thank you very much to everybody for listening. Thank you to Sean. No, thank you. Thank you to Andy. Thank you. And thank you. And once again, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to hear more from us, there is always the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast. So it's two pounds a month. You get days weeks probably by now of exclusive bonus content and that's just the lowest level you can also go up to the five tier five pound a month level where you get years years probably now worth of stuff uh, golden golden content to, to pour into your ears i'm so bad at outros right see you later is it, is it not a seven pound level yeah but that's uh you get all the content, but you also got a, a free shirt and a fanzine at the end of the, the year. Oh, is that that one? Right, okay. No with, a, with an article written by by each of us. So that's that's still something to promote, isn't it? Yeah, that's obviously gold as well. Yeah. Not going to get that anywhere else. There's only like 100 copies printed a year. So yeah, one, one day they'll be worth a lot of money to nobody at all. Right, cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.